Chapter Fifteen of Cabbages and Kings by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eric Metzler. Dicky. There is little consecutiveness along the Spanish Main. Things happen there intermittently. Even time seems to hang his scythe daily on the branch of an orange tree while he takes a siesta and a cigarette. After the ineffectual revolt against the administration of President Losada, the country settled again into quiet toleration of the abuses with which he had been charged. In Corraleol, old political enemies went arm in arm, lightly eschewing for the time all differences of opinion. The failure of the art expedition did not stretch the cat-footed Keogh upon his back. The ups and downs of fortune made smooth travelling for his nimble steps. His blue pencil-stub was at work again before the smoke of the steamer on which White sailed had cleared away from the horizon. He had but to speak a word to Getty to find his credit negotiable for whatever goods he wanted from the store of Brannigan and Company. On the same day on which White arrived in New York, Keogh, at the rear of a train of five pack-mules loaded with hardware and cutlery, set his face toward the grim interior mountains. There the Indian tribes wash gold dust from the auriferous streams, and when a market is brought to them trading is brisk and muy bueno in the cordilleras. In Coralio time folded his wings and paced wearily along his drowsy path. They who had most cheered the torpid hours were gone. Clancy had sailed on a Spanish bark for Colon, contemplating a cut across the isthmus and then a further voyage to end at Calao, where the fighting was said to be on. Getty, whose quiet and genial nature had once served to mitigate the frequent dull reaction of lotus-eating, was now a home-man, happy with his bright orchid, Paula, and never even dreaming of or regretting the unsolved, sealed and monogrammed bottle whose contents, now inconsiderable, were held safely in the keeping of the sea. Well may the walrus, most discerning and eclectic of beasts, place sealing-wax midway on his program of topics that fall pertinent and diverting upon the ear. Atwood was gone, he of the hospitable back-porch and ingenuous cunning. Dr. Gregg, with his trepanning stories smouldering within him, was a whiskered volcano, always showing signs of imminent eruption, and was not to be considered in the ranks of those who might contribute to the amelioration of ennui. The new consul's note chimed with the sad sea-waves and the violent tropical greens. He had not a bar of Scheherazade or of the round table in his lute. Goodwin was employed with large projects. What time he was loosed from them found him at his home, where he loved to be. Therefore it will be seen that there was a dearth of fellowship and entertainment among the foreign contingent of Coralio. And then Dicky Maloney dropped down from the clouds upon the town, and amused it. Nobody knew where Dicky Maloney hailed from or how he reached Coralio. He appeared there one day, and that was all. He afterwards said that he came on the fruit-steamer Thor. But an inspection of the Thor's passenger list of that date was found to be Maloneyless. Curiosity, however, soon perished, and Dicky took his place among the odd fish cast up by the Caribbean. He was an active, devil-may-care, rollicking fellow with an engaging grey eye, the most irresistible grin, a rather dark or much sunburned complexion, and a head of the fieriest red hair ever seen in that country, speaking the Spanish language as well as he spoke English, and seeming always to have plenty of silver in his pockets, 
it was not long before he was a welcome companion whithersoever he went. He had an extreme fondness for vino blanco, and gained the reputation of being able to drink more of it than any three men in town. Everybody called him Dicky. Everybody cheered up at the sight of him, especially the natives, to whom his marvellous red hair and his free and easy style were a constant delight and envy. Wherever you went in the town you would soon see Dicky or hear his genial laugh, and find around him a group of admirers who appreciated him both for his good nature and the white wine he was always so ready to buy. A considerable amount of speculation was had concerning the object of his sojourn there, until one day he silenced this by opening a small shop for the sale of tobacco, dulces, and the handiwork of the interior Indians, fiber and silk-woven goods, deerskin zapatos, and basket-work of tulu reeds. Even then he did not change his habits, for he was drinking and playing cards half the day and night with the comandante, the collector of customs, the jefe politico, and other gay dogs among the native officials. One day Dicky saw Pasa, the daughter of Madama Ortiz, sitting in the side door of the Hotel de los Estrangeros. He stopped in his tracks, still, for the first time in Corralio, and then he sped, swift as a deer, to find Vasquez, a gilded native youth, to present him. The young men had named Pasa La Santita Naranjadita. Naranjadita is a Spanish word for a certain color that you must go to more trouble to describe in English. By saying, the little saint tinted the most beautiful, delicate, slightly orange-golden, you will approximate the description of Madama Ortiz's daughter. La Madama Ortiz sold rum in addition to other liquors. Now you must know that the rum expiates whatever opprobrium attends upon the other commodities. For rum-making, mind you, is a government monopoly, and to keep a government dispensary assures respectability, if not pre-eminence. Moreover, the saddest of precisians could find no fault with the conduct of the shop. Customers drank there in the lowest of spirits and fearsomely, as in the shadow of the dead for madama's ancient and vaunted lineage counteracted even the rum's behest to be merry for was she not of the iglesias who landed with bizarro and had not her deceased husband been comisionado de caminos y puentes for the district in the evenings pasa sat by the window in the room next to the one where they drank and strummed dreamily upon her guitar and then by twos and threes would come visiting young caballeros and occupy the prim line of chairs set against the wall of this room. They were there to besiege the heart of La Santita. Their method, which is not proof against intelligent competition, consisted of expanding the chest, looking valorous, and consuming a gross or two of cigarettes. Even saints delicately oranged prefer to be wooed differently. Doña Pasa would tide over the vast chasms of nicotinized silence with music from her guitar, while she wondered if the romances she had read about gallant and more, more contiguous cavaliers, were all lies. At some regular intervals Madame would glide in from the dispensary with a sort of drought-suggesting gleam in her eye, and there would be a rustling of stiffly starched white trousers as one of the caballeros would propose an adjournment to the bar. That Dicky Maloney would, sooner or later, explore this field was a thing to be foreseen. There were few doors in Corralio into which his red head had not been poked. In an incredibly short space of time after his first sight of her he was there, seated close beside her rocking-chair. There were no back-against-the-wall poses in Dicky's theory of wooing. 
His plan of subjection was an attack at close range, to carry the fortress with one concentrated, ardent, eloquent, irresistible escalade. That was Dickie's way. Pasa was descended from the proudest Spanish families in the country. Moreover, she had had unusual advantages. Two years in a New Orleans school had elevated her ambitions and fitted her for a fate above the ordinary maidens of her native land. And yet, here she succumbed to the first red-haired scamp with a glib tongue and a charming smile that came along and courted her properly. Very soon Dickie took her to the little church on the corner of the plaza, and Mrs. Maloney was added to her string of distinguished names. And it was her fate to sit, with her patient saintly eyes and figure like a bisque psyche, behind the sequestered counter of the little shop, while Dickie drank and philandered with his frivolous acquaintances. The women, with their naturally fine instinct, saw a chance for vivisection, and delicately taunted her with his habits. She turned upon them in a beautiful, steady blaze of sorrowful contempt. "'You meet cows,' she said in her level, crystal-clear tones. "'You know nothing of a man. Your men are maromeros. They are fit only to roll cigarettes in the shade until the sun strikes and shrivels them up. They drone in your hammocks, and you comb their hair and feed them with fresh fruit. My man is of no such blood. Let him drink of the wine. When he has taken sufficient of it to drown one of your flacitos, he will come home to me more of a man than one thousand of your pobrecitos. My hair he smooths and braids. To me he sings. He himself removes my zapatos. And there, there, upon each instep leaves a kiss. He holds... Oh, you will never understand, blind ones who have never known a man. Sometimes mysterious things happened at night about Dickie's shop. While the front of it was dark, in the little room back of it, Dickie and a few of his friends would sit about a table carrying on some kind of very quiet negocios until quite late. Finally he would let them out the front door very carefully and go upstairs to his little saint. These visitors were generally conspirator-like men with dark clothes and hats. Of course these dark doings were noticed after a while, and talked about. Dickie seemed to care nothing at all for the society of the alien residents of the town. He avoided Goodwin, and his skillful escape from the trepanning story of Dr. Gregg is still referred to, in Coralio, as a masterpiece of lightning diplomacy. Many letters arrived addressed to Mr. Dickie Maloney or Signor Dickie Maloney, to the considerable pride of Passa, That so many people should desire to write to him only confirmed her own suspicion that the light from his red head shone around the world. As to their contents, she never felt curiosity. There was a wife for you. The one mistake Dickie made in Coralio was to run out of money at the wrong time. Where his money came from was a puzzle, for the sales of his shop were next to nothing. But that source failed, and at a peculiarly unfortunate time. It was when the Comandante Don Señor El Coronel Encarnación Rios looked upon the little saint seated in the shop and felt his heart go pit-a-pat. The Comandante, who was versed in all the intricate arts of gallantry, first delicately hinted at his sentiments by donning his dress uniform and strutting up and down fiercely before her window. Pasa, glancing demurely with her saintly eyes, instantly perceived his resemblance to her parrot, Chichi, and was diverted to the extent of a smile. The commandante saw the smile, which was not intended for him. Convinced of an impression made, he entered the shop, confidently, and advanced to open compliment. Pasa froze. He pranced, 
She flamed royally. He was charmed to injudicious persistence. She commanded him to leave the shop. He tried to capture her hand. And Dicky entered, smiling broadly, full of white wine and the devil. He spent five minutes in punishing the commandante scientifically and carefully so that the pain might be prolonged as far as possible. At the end of that time he pitched the rash wooer out the door upon the stones of the street, senseless. A barefooted policeman who had been watching the affair from across the street blew a whistle. A squad of four soldiers came running from the quartel around the corner. When they saw that the offender was Dicky, they stopped, and blew more whistles, which brought out reinforcements of eight. Deeming the odds against them sufficiently reduced, the military advanced upon the disturber. Dicky, being thoroughly imbued with the martial spirit, stooped and drew the commandante's sword, which was girded about him, and charged his foe. He chased the standing army four squares, playfully prodding its squealing rear and hacking at its ginger-colored heels. But he was not so successful with the civic authorities. Six muscular, nimble policemen overpowered him and conveyed him, triumphantly but warily, to jail. El Diablo Colorado they dubbed him, and derided the military for its defeat. Dicky, with the rest of the prisoners, could look out through the barred door at the grass of the little plaza, at a row of orange trees in the red tile roofs and dobe walls of a line of insignificant stores. At sunset along a path across this plaza came a melancholy procession of sad-faced women bearing plantains, cassava, bread, and fruit, each coming with food to some wretch behind those bars to whom she still clung and furnished the means of life. Twice a day, morning and evening, they were permitted to come. Water was furnished to her compulsory guests by the Republic, but no food. That evening Dicky's name was called by the sentry, and he stepped before the bars of the door. There stood his little saint, a black mantilla draped about her head and shoulders, her face like glorified melancholy, her clear eyes gazing longingly at him as if they might draw him between the bars to her. She brought a chicken, some oranges, dulces, and a loaf of white bread. A soldier inspected the food and passed it in to Dicky. Passa spoke calmly, as she always did, briefly, in her thrilling, flute-like tones. "'Angel of my life,' she said, "'let it not be long that thou art away from me. Thou knowest that life is not a thing to be endured with thou not at my side. Tell me if I can do aught in this matter. If not, I will wait, a little while. I come again in the morning.' Dicky, with his shoes removed so as not to disturb his fellow-prisoners, tramped the floor of the jail half the night condemning his lack of money and the cause of it, whatever that might have been. He knew very well that money would have bought his release at once. For two days succeeding, Pasa came at the appointed times and brought him food. He eagerly inquired each time if a letter or package had come for him, and she mournfully shook her head. On the morning of the third day she brought only a small loaf of bread. There were dark circles under her eyes. She seemed as calm as ever. "'By Jingo!' said Dicky, who seemed to speak in English or Spanish as the whim seized him. "'This is dry provender, muchachita. Is this the best you can dig up for a fellow?' Pasa looked at him as a mother looks at a beloved but capricious babe. "'Think better of it,' she said in a low voice. "'Since for the next meal there will be nothing. The last centavo is spent.' She pressed closer against the grating. "'Sell the goods in the shop. Take anything for them.' Have I not tried? Did I not offer them for one-tenth their cost? Not even one peso would any one give. There is not one real in this town to assist Dicky Maloney. Dick clenched his teeth grimly. That's the commandante, he growled. 
He's responsible for that sentiment. Wait, oh, wait till the cards are all out. Pasa lowered her voice to almost a whisper. And listen, heart of my heart, she said. I have endeavored to be brave, but I cannot live without thee three days now. Dicky caught a faint gleam of steel from the folds of her mantilla. For once she looked in his face and saw it without a smile, stern, menacing, and purposeful. Then he suddenly raised his hand, and his smile came back like a gleam of sunshine. The hoarse signal of an incoming steamer's siren sounded in the harbor. Dicky called to the sentry who was pacing before the door. "'What steamer comes?' "'The Catarina. "'Of the Vesuvius line?' "'Without doubt of that line.' "'Go you, Picaria,' said Dicky joyously to Pasa, "'to the American consul. "'Tell him I wish to speak with him. "'See that he comes at once. "'And look you, let me see a different look in those eyes, "'for I promise your head shall rest upon this arm to-night.' "'It was an hour before the consul came.' He held his green umbrella under his arm and mopped his forehead impatiently. "'Now, see here, Maloney,' he began captiously, "'you fellows seem to think you can cut up any kind of row and expect me to pull you out of it. I'm neither the War Department nor a gold-mine. This country has its laws, you know, and there's one against pounding the senses out of the regular army. You Irish are forever getting into trouble. I don't see what I can do. Anything like tobacco now to make you comfortable, or newspapers.' "'Son of Eli,' interrupted Dicky gravely, "'you haven't changed an iota. "'That is almost a duplicate of the speech you made "'when old Cohen's donkeys and geese got into the chapel loft "'and the culprits wanted to hide in your room.' "'Oh, heavens!' exclaimed the consul, hurriedly adjusting his spectacles. "'Are you a Yale man, too? Were you in that crowd? "'I don't seem to remember anyone with red, anyone named Maloney. "'Such a lot of college men seem to have misused their advantages.' One of the best mathematicians of the class of ninety-one is selling lottery tickets in Belize. A Cornell man dropped off here last month. He was second steward on a guano boat. I'll write to the department, if you like, Maloney. Or if there's any tobacco or newspaper— There's nothing, interrupted Dicky shortly, but this. You go tell the captain of the Catarina that Dicky Maloney wants to see him as soon as he can conveniently come. Tell him where I am. Hurry, that's all. The consul, glad to be let off so easily, hurried away. The captain of the Caterina, a stout man, Sicilian-born, soon appeared, shoving with little ceremony through the guards to the jail door. The Vesuvius Fruit Company had a habit of doing things that way in Anchuria. "'I am exceedingly sorry, exceedingly sorry,' said the captain, "'to see this occur. I place myself at your service, Mr. Maloney. What you need shall be furnished. Whatever you say shall be done.' Dicky looked at him unsmilingly. His red hair could not detract from his attitude of severe dignity as he stood— tall and calm, with his now grim mouth forming a horizontal line. "'Captain de Luco, I believe I still have funds in the hands of your company. Ample and personal funds. I ordered a remittance last week. The money has not arrived. You know what is needed in this game. Money and money and more money. Why has it not been sent?' "'By the Cristobal,' replied de Luco, gesticulating. "'It was dispatched. Where is the Cristobal?' Off's Cape Antonio I spoke her with a broken shaft. A tramp coaster was towing her back to New Orleans. I brought money ashore, thinking your need for it might not withstand delay. And this envelope is one thousand dollars. There is more if you need it, Mr. Maloney. For the present it will suffice, said Dicky, softening as he crinkled the envelope and looked down at the half-inch thickness of smooth, dingy bills. 
the long green he said gently with a new reverence in his gaze is there anything it will not buy captain i had three friends replied Duluco, who was a bit of a philosopher who had money one of them speculated in stocks and made ten million another is in heaven and the third married a poor girl whom he loved the answer then said dicky is held by the almighty wall street and cupid so the question remains this queried the captain including dicky's surroundings in a significant gesture of the hand is it is it not is it not connected with the business of your little shop there is no failure in your plans no no said dicky this is merely the result of a little private affair of mine a digression from the regular line of business they say for a complete life a man must know poverty love and war but they don't go well together capitan mio no there is no failure in my business the little shop is doing very well when the captain had departed dicky called the sergeant of the jail squad and asked am i preso by the military or by the civil authority surely there is no martial law in effect now senor bueno now go or send to the alcad the juez de la paz and the jefe de los policios tell them i am prepared at once to satisfy the demands of justice a folded bill of the long green slid into the sergeant's hand then dicky's smile came back again for he knew that the hours of his captivity were numbered and he hummed in time with the sentry's tread they're hangin men and women now for lacking of the green so that night dicky sat by the window of the room over his shop and his little saint sat close by working at something silken and dainty dicky was thoughtful and grave his red hair was in an unusual state of disorder pasta's fingers often ached to smooth and arrange it but dicky would never allow it he was poring to-night over a great litter of maps and books and papers on his table until that perpendicular line came between his brows that always distressed pasta presently she went and brought his hat and stood with it until he looked up inquiringly it is sad for you here she explained go out and drink vino blanco come back when you get that smile you used to wear that is what i wish to see dicky laughed and threw down his papers the vino blanco stage is past it has served its turn perhaps after all there was less entered my mouth and more my ears than people thought but there will be no more maps or frowns to-night i promise you that come they sat upon a reed saleta at the window and watched the quivering gleams from the lights of the catarina reflected in the harbour presently pasa rippled out one of her infrequent chirrups of audible laughter i was thinking she began anticipating dicky's question of the foolish things girls have in their minds because i went to school in the states i used to have ambitions nothing less than to be the president's wife would satisfy me and look thou red picaroon to what obscure fate thou hast stolen me don't give up hope said dicky smiling more than one irishman has been the ruler of a south american country there was a dictator of chile named o'higgins why not president maloney of anchuria say the word santita mia and we'll make the race no 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 thou red-haired reckless one sighed pasa i am content she laid her head against his arm here end of chapter fifteen recording by eric metzler albuquerque new mexico united states of america